they're even former employees um, with whom we speak that say they just, I mean, Elon does not understand this, 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 but it's really cool kind of working at a company that's run by a person like that. Um, it's interesting. Obviously, they don't work there anymore, but everyone that we speak with says that. And that's kind of surprising to me. It always is um, because they, they save like the worst things ever. And yet they're still kind of in awe of him. So Elon like is the worst thing for Tesla and the best thing at Tesla. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor with TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. And today we have a very fun guest. Some say nobody likes him. Others say he's the most popular guy in CNBC. He's, I think, the principal of Snowball Capital. He's a lot to say, and he's an absolutely fascinating dinner companion. Welcome, Taylor Ogden. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet all three of you in person, finally. Big fan. Yeah. So so we're not together in person right now, but we just were um, less than a week ago, or I guess – I guess it's a week ago now, uh, at uh, Kirsten's like amazing TechCrunch Mobility Sessions, um, which is which was, I mean, it was such a great time just to be out and seeing people. But Taylor, like, um, and, and particularly meeting you w- was amazing. Um, but what did you think of, of Mobility Sessions? I thought it was a great culmination of everyone that is uh, relevant in this industry. And they seem to like it. Um, and I, I think it was a great event. And the speakers were um, just phenomenal, and it was it was great to see people actually be able to speak their mind. So I think it was uh, a, a, the best opportunity that I've actually seen in this space. I was curious, Taylor, if there were certain interviews. I mean, you were on our stage. We should mention that for people who didn't um, attend. Um, curious, what stood out to you? I had one founder reach out to me and said he felt like that the tone of the speakers and people who was talking were more based in reality. Would you agree? Hmm. Yeah, I think it sounded like the first opportunity maybe ever uh, that I've at least heard where, like I said, people could really speak their mind. And there were finally digs uh, against other companies, uh, which was so great to hear. And it was, it was just so genuine. Um, everything else, I think because of COVID, it's just PR teams have been just perfectly crafting every single like release. And, um, this was, this is finally a time where people could speak their minds. Tell us, for instance. Yeah. Tell us more about what you enjoyed. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, on stage, it was, uh, like finally Austin Russell put some, uh, some digs towards Tesla, Finally, I mean, even Herbert was uh, a little spicy, um, and and it was good to see just how uh, how connected he is with a lot of the technology at his company, which you don't really see from other leaders. Um, I really liked the the guys from uh, Cruise; um, they were just super interesting. I got to chat with them in the green room. Um, you mean Valosek and Miller, the uh, the hackers? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I mean, they they also just built off of each other. Also, I thought uh, the very first one with um, who was it? Uh, Kirsten, the one that that you moderated, Laura Major and and Oliver. Yeah, and, yeah, right. Laura and Oliver. Um, they were because they have such different approaches. Uh, they were kind of going at it um, a little bit. And it was, and Kirsten was crafting it perfectly where they were kind of saying, well, you test at night and we don't really need that. And then you have dedicated pickup and drop off spots. And so I thought um, that was really interesting to kind of put those two, not against each other, but on the same stage. And they were, they were super polite, um, but it was, uh, that was actually probably my favorite one. That's interesting because 
they're like, as you said, very polite, Oliver Cameron and Laura Major, but you could really get the differences. Like, I think that um, it wasn't a pro or negative for Cruise or Emotional necessarily, but you could totally get the sense of what each company's broaches yeah, through yeah. the way that they were describing. And I thought it was really interesting that like um, off stage, actually, I, I told them, I'm like, oh, I think it's really interesting that you're saying that night is complicated and the other person saying night yes. isn't complicated. And, you know, the one thing that um, they said is, you know, Oliver said was, Hey, you know, night is complicated mostly because of the logistics of dealing with people, but you're right in that this during the day is, has more activity and there's more things going on the street. So I don't know if we had had more time on stage, if they would have like come to some sort of agreement or something, but they were really happy with it too. So I always find that interesting when people get off stage and they're like, that was great. And then other people are like, Oh, that seemed like they, it was a little spicy. And I'm like, I don't know what it was like sitting in the audience, but on stage, it was interesting. Yeah, Chris, are you suggesting it was like the Nixon Kennedy debate from 1960? <laughs> I wasn't exactly thinking Nixon Kennedy when, you know, I was on stage there, but um, I don't know. What was it like in the audience? Is that Was that the vibe? It wouldn't be I mean, I, say. <laughs> I unfortunately okay. missed the the Laura Major uh, and Oliver Cameron one because I was busy getting a ride from, from Waymo. I'm sure Waymo wasn't trying to keep me from their competitors' uh, panel or anything. <laughs> but, uh, but I have to say, like, uh, you know, the mobility – Sessions was amazing. There were so many great conversations, but I feel like for me, like part of the experience was just spending a couple of days in San Francisco where I haven't really spent much time lately and just seeing like how many AVs are on the road. You have Zooks, you have Cruise, and you have Waymo. I got to ride into Waymo, but then just wandering around, like I went for a walk with uh, 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 Laura Kalodney from CNBC and like we just, it was just everywhere. There were, there were AVs everywhere. And I feel like, um, you know, sort of going into COVID, we're still very much in this sort of trough of disillusionment thing. And I feel like now coming out of it, it's kind of amazing to, you know, for me anyway, not being in San Francisco to go and not just see people out and about, but like see the AV industry really out and like doing it. And I, I feel like if you spend any time in San Francisco, like, you, you know, you can't really indulge in this, like, you know, AVs will never happen. This is all just a big Silicon Valley scam thing. Like, like it's very real in San Francisco right now. And I think that was a really cool thing to see, especially when, you know, you could then go to the session and like hear all these leaders of these companies, you know, talking about, about how they've gotten to this point and where they're going from here. Uh, it was just a really cool experience. I completely agree. It was so cool to see that. I mean, I, in Boston, we really only see emotional driving around occasionally. Um, and actually some Teslas with LIDAR. Um, but, but it was, it was, so I've said that it's, there were three times, maybe even four times more autonomous vehicles testing in San Francisco than I expected. And my bar was set high, you know, we've simulated their routes and everything based on the California DMV data, um, and the crash reports. So we kind of have a, an idea of where they're testing, but we were all over San Francisco. They really were all over. Um, and I mean, we, we dedicated an entire day to visiting the depots of these, uh, sites. And, um, we, the police were called one of the times, but we got <laughs> out of there. Um, but they, well, uh, which, which depot? That, that one was the Waymo depot that was, I'm not real familiar with uh, San Francisco, but it was near where the, where the uh, stadiums are, just south of that. Um, in a really yeah, kind on, of weird... On the water? It's on the no, water. but no. Isn't but that like, it's like dog patch kind of sort of area? I don't know. I yeah, remember. yeah. 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 Um, but just, and, and like, so we've had to look at all these sites from Google Street View um and google earth and that actually is a really helpful tool for us but to see them in person and to really we actually accidentally stumbled upon one when we had all of our bags we were waiting for an uber and uh and i was, I was like wait harrison street that's this looks just like what we've been looking at over and over we like wait for the for the new street views to come out and um and so it was they were really busy 
and uh, just cars coming and going, probably one every 30 seconds for both cruise depots and the Waymo depot. Um, it, and this was in the middle of the day. Um, but uh, we also did ride in a cruise, which was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, it was, was, it, they, was they really it phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Yes. Every AV ride in San Francisco is just like kind of mind blowing because just the sheer, like that city just generates weird like street scenes it's like a machine for 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 like edge cases basically and like no matter where in the city you are pretty much like i've i've gone two rides in the city and it's just it's mind-blowing and i have to say i rode in a waymo it wasn't perfect like there were some you know some 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 moments where there are a few issues but like um in general like the idea that you know, Phoenix was going to sort of like trap them in this sort of easy mode and they weren't going to ever be able to get out of that and then go to somewhere like San Francisco. Like they have not been there long and like it's, it, they, they really handled some, some very San Francisco type of education. I mean, you have to, cause they just, they're, they, it's just constant there. Right. Yeah. I have a question for Alex actually, um, from Zooks and Waymo. We didn't see this with Cruz. Um, but Almost every, well, probably half the time, actually, uh, there were two vehicles r- just right behind each other. Um, why is that? It's it, it was so often that it's not an accident. Why are they doing that, do you think? Is, are you saying that they had chase vehicles? Yeah, yeah. Zooks and who? Zooks and Waymo. Well, I don't know why they would be doing that. Although in the past, Ed, maybe you know, at one point, wasn't Waymo, didn't Waymo have one, if not two, chase vehicles in the early days of driverless testing in Chandler? I don't know. There were reports of chase vehicles there. It's funny you mentioned that because I did not see that. Uh, I did not see them going in twos. Yeah, there's a picture. Okay. Um, the one I rode in, we were definitely by ourselves. And actually one of the most impressive things to me was the, we changed the route like three times on the first ride, um, which was something that a couple years ago in, in Chandler, they couldn't do. It was like, once you set the route, you had to go where you were going. And so that's, it's just little, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like people don't kind of really think about like that kind of progress. Um, and, and it really is like a meaningful thing. Cause it's, it's something that a human driver, like you're just like, Hey dude, just changing the thing. It's really easy for them, but it's, it's a little bit more complicated for an AV. So totally. That's, that's the number one thing that we test in every single AV that we're in is just, can we change the route and also pick up and drop offs? They, I've never had been in an, an autonomous vehicle that actually you could drop off or pick up exactly where you want. So, and I, I totally understand why, and I don't even know if it's not a scale limitation or anything. It's just, um, you need to label every single, you know, that probably requires a human. Um, but there, it was like within for cruise, it was probably within like a three block radius Like we were dropped off, not where we put in. Um, well, it didn't let us choose a, a drop off location and we were picked up about a block and a half away. Um, but you know that's so what um and actually the people that that i spoke with who have access to at least cruise they were saying that they just it's just better than an uber like they just use it all the time and not to be wowed not to really test it but just because it's a better service um and so looking at the map of these that was um the coolest thing because it was like the best data set that I could ever imagine right in front of my eyes, looking at where they're driving. And they really were like ants all over San Francisco. Um, so that was really impressive. There were a lot of things that I wasn't sure that they were truly genuinely doing that I uh, have since been convinced that it's real. Uh, Taylor, when these people say it was better than an Uber, did, is it that just, is it consistency they like? Like what's, what's behind that? I think the availability, just because there aren't many people who can summon these. And so there, when, when you summon one, there's just immediately um, the closest one comes to you, which is not the case with Uber and Lyft. And they may cancel on you because your route isn't where they want to go. Um, but yeah, they, they just say that they, they love the, the service. So 
Um, and we, we also did go in a pony. Um, and that is, uh, the craziest NDA that we've ever signed. Um, so I really shouldn't talk about it much, but I can say that it was more impressive than the cruise. Wow. So it, it was the most impressive autonomous vehicle I've been in. I, I have a quick follow-up on the pony thing, which is interesting to me because, um, on like, we were kind of side, I guess, convoying a little bit, um, before today. And you were telling me that you were really impressed with pony, but they just had their permit revoked yeah. um, by the California DMV. So what is your, like, do you have any insight in that that you can no. weigh in on? Like, <laughs> No, truly, truly we don't. Um, and uh, my, one of my colleagues, Bridget, this morning said, I, I kind of feel betrayed that they didn't talk about that. Um, I don't know if they knew, but it, uh, you know, they're already in some, some hot water with the California DMV. Yes. Um, for the, the driverless accident. Um, we did drive past that site and, you know, I'll just refer to their press release. It was a localization issue and I can see why it happened. And I can also see how that can easily be fixed. Um, what they, the reason that it sounds like, and maybe you have more insight into this, why they were just, uh, their permit was revoked altogether in California was because of the qualifications of their test, their safety drivers. Yeah, correct. So we were just dealing with what the DMV is telling us as well. So what we're talking about for folks who didn't see it, um, you know, uh, TechCrunch had a story yesterday that Pony's um, permit was revoked. This is following a suspension back in um, late last year. So this is all just revolving around the some of the issues with some of the um, safety drivers. So basically not having a clean driving record, but we didn't get beyond, like we haven't received more information of, is this uh, across the board? Is it just one instance of maybe a driver not having a clean uh, driving record? How bad is it? Like we don't have those details. Um, we just know that they had 71 safety drivers on their permit and apparently some, cause they use plural, um, right. didn't have a clean driving record. And so as a result, but here's the interesting thing to me. I don't think that if that had been the only issue, they would have had their permit revoked. I think that it's a comp compilation of first being suspended for that first reason. And then, you know, maybe this was a very egregious, it just, I don't see the DMV like revoking it off of just that. Because if you look at some of the reports that companies file every year, they're some like Waymo are like incredibly professional and like very detailed, but like a lot of them are bare bones. Yeah. So. I, I think that the initial uh, suspension of their driverless permit, um, of which they're only one of a few companies that were holders. And I think that that was egregious of for them to remove it or suspend it uh, because it was a quite, we've read every single California DMV AV crash um, report in detail and we've classified them all. Uh, and it was among the most minor. Um, there was some damage to the wheel. Uh, it did drive up on a curb, but uh, and, and slightly damaged a sign, but compared to some of these others, um, that, that was surprising. I think, I don't know what the California DMV is, is doing. It sounds from pretty much every company, uh, with whom we've spoken in the last week that is testing in California. They do not like the California DMV, uh, which was kind of surprising. I thought that they were, you know, because they're so transparent compared to other places, um, but it sounds like everyone's actually maybe even moving out, at least some of the companies that they may just halt their testing in California and maybe move to Texas or Florida or um, Atlanta or Michigan, even New York. I actually asked, uh, I asked uh, Dimitri Dolgov that question on stage. And I said, because they're still waiting for that final permit to be able to charge for driverless rides. 
And I'm like, why not just, you know, have you ever thought of going somewhere else? Obviously, you know, I wasn't surprised by his answer. (laughs) It was like, no, we're staying. But I had to ask it because I've been hearing those complaints for years and um, Waymo might have too much skin in the game to, to actually leave. But I think some of the others will. I'm I'm sure. But, but they also for pony, I think that that was um, first of all, I don't think that they really care based on conversations we've been having. Um, California is really a recruiting tool more than anything. And I mean, the driving in Fremont is easy. It just, they say that when there's rush hour, it's a little bit more difficult, but compared to what they're doing in China, it's, this is just the easiest thing ever. Um, so I don't think the data that they're collecting here, they can't even really send back. Um, so it doesn't really, and the data that they're, they're using is, sounds like mostly Chinese data, even the people in California. Um, so I don't know how valuable that is. Well, I know that it's not valuable to them. I don't know if they're totally okay with just their their license being completely uh, revoked here. But um, what they are, the permits that they have in China are obviously better than any company in the world. So they have more cities. They have, uh, you know, they were the first company in China to receive the permit for uh, completely driverless um operation and charge for that uh so they i think they're they're okay and um also i mean it's kind of ironic that the dmv revokes that and yet tesla just gets away scot-free um but i know that that's probably not where this conversation should go no, no, we we need to talk about it. Like, we can't have you on and not talk about about Tesla and just sort of your appearance in this whole world, which has been a fascinating thing to watch. Um, to close the loop on the on the DMV thing, though, I mean, so yeah, so you have the DMV issues, you have CPUC challenge, so you have like mm-hmm. now multiple hoops to jump through in California, and really one of the things that that I've heard a bit um, is you know the fact that you really can't be testing trucks in California is kind of a problem because that is really one of the short-term opportunities. And, you know, it's fascinating. I've, so I have my bookshelf behind me. I have these like license plates from Nevada because they like in 2015 or something really early were like, and, and like the red one is for a test fleet and the green one is a, a, a sample for privately owned AVs. And like, to me, it's like a wow. reminder that like regulation is important and it's good and it's got to come. But like, if you do it too early, you know, you just sort of have to imagine uh, how this is all going to play out and you don't know. And so like private AVs are like not here and and not going to be here anytime soon, probably. But like, you know, the fact that California had some, some rules and then, and then just didn't do it, just didn't let trucks operate. And now they have to have a whole separate rulemaking process. And like, again, like, I, you know, in 2015, 16, 17, when these rules were first being put into place, like trucking was not yet understood to be like, Oh, like this is where, you know, probably a lot of the economic value is going to be generated first. So I think like, you know, trying to get into early can have some some real challenges and and that rulemaking in the space has to be like nimble and, and iterative. Um but we ne- we don't have Taylor here for for uh, an infinite amount of time unfortunately because I know from experience that we can talk pretty much endlessly. <laughs> like, we have to kind of talk just at least briefly about how you kind of showed up in at least in my world um you know where like and and I don't remember the exact time, but what I do remember is that it was definitely the point where, you know, the great Tesla online wars, really the Twitter wars uh, over Tesla had kind of reached this point where it was like, for me anyway, it was like almost getting to be like not worth engaging with. And it was just this like trench warfare. And, and you know, Taylor, you and, and the other folks from Snowball Capital came in and were positioned totally differently than ever. Right? Everyone else had taken sides. You were a lover. You were a hater. And you came in and, and, and kind of had a really different sort of perspective on the whole thing. Um, talk about sort of your, you know, Twitter and sort of how you just sort of first got into this whole – because I think, you know, Tesla was probably how most people – have become aware of you because you're a long, like you're long Tesla stock, but you're also like quite critical of the company. So help people understand yeah. how you got into this, where you're coming from. Well, so we have followed Tesla. I mean, I camped out in front of the second ever Tesla showroom opening, uh, literally. And 
so I've been following Tesla for it's before Elon Musk was there, um, which may piss some people off um, who think that he founded the company. But uh, and I've owned four Teslas. I currently own a Model Y uh, with FSD beta. Um, so I've experienced this. I've gone through the whole Tesla Motors Club days. Um, and for a long time, there have been critics. Um, but that was always associated with just the stock. And But the stock didn't move until 2018. And then when it really started to, in 2018, 2019, 2020, then, of course, um, people were a lot more vocal about some of the shortcomings of the company. And then the shorts got burnt out. And there, people like you, it seems, were kind of tired of the same debates over and over because it didn't seem like it was going anywhere. And the whole time we were just observing. And, and then I just saw that it was the, the lies, um, the exaggerations over, especially um, where Tesla was with respect to battery development and uh, their presence in China and self-driving. Uh, it, was, it was just too much. And so we had to jump in. And I didn't think that many people would really care because I, I felt like we were kind of, the message was the same. It was just, we, we figured we'll, we'll take a data-driven approach to this um, because we deal with data every day. And, and so it was just, um, you know, like when we internally write research reports um, for like, let's say a LIDAR company, um, one of the things that we have to do is, and even in talking with investors, we have to convince them because everyone thinks that Tesla is like the leader in the autonomous vehicle space. We have to first convince them that Tesla's not. And so we've been doing that for a long time. It's just, we finally decided that, um, and actually we are split in the office of whether we should like publish any of our research uh, for free on Twitter. Um, I mean, it just takes time out of our day. We're not making money from this. Uh, and we definitely haven't gotten any LPs from this. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it kind of had to be worth it. Um, and what it was, was we were just sharing things that we've already, we've already put together. And so then we got some traction and people were like, whoa, this is, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's just, this is a different approach. Um, and so I think the data driven side definitely is one that was lacking. Um, because the shorts, the shorts are just as crazy as the craziest permables. Um, and and there are just fewer of them, but they're dedicated and they just don't know enough about what the others in the space are doing. And so that's really kind of been our approach because it's let's educate people. Well, first, let's prove people wrong with data. And then not just that, because we're long only, we don't short any, any stock. Um, and so while we disprove what people think has been happening for a while, let's also educate them on what's happening in the space. And that's mostly in China because people just don't know what's happening in China with autonomous vehicles, with electric vehicles, with battery technology, um, even 5G, AI. They just assume that China's copying or the West is just completely in the lead and it's just not true. So um, that's also been part of our strategy. And that's what's a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how we, we fell into this. Um, but we've been observing the whole time and now it's, uh, it's just so much more obvious that we may take a step back. I don't know. Um, it's, it's hard to like believe that the Tesla people still think, still believe this stuff. Um, because now a lot of them have experienced FSD beta and, and so it's definitely weeding a lot of them out. Um, so I don't know how much longer we'll be as vocal as we have been. Um, cause it certainly, as everyone here knows, it takes quite a lot of time out of your day. Um, but I think it's been at least educational for some people. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, what was, what really stood out was, you know, I'd been so frustrated by the fact that like, you know, 
one of the things that, that Elon's done that's so successful for him so far is just polarize people, right? Force people to either be 100% bought in, in which case you cannot criticize him on anything, basically, uh, or, or you know, you're just a hater. And, you know, I've always felt very strongly that, like, you know, having tough questions and having to answer tough questions and, and, and you know, strong reporting and stuff, like, this makes companies stronger, and it was so cool to see you as someone who's, you know, long the stock, but, you know, sort of making the point that like, which I've been trying to make. And and, and again, you could like reach people that I, I never could because I was just written off as a hater from, from the very beginning. But you were making the point that I, you know, kind of felt like I was trying to make with my criticism, which is like confronting this stuff early and having a culture where it's normal to like bring up tough things and like discuss them honestly and, and openly is, you know, makes companies stronger, not weaker. Um, and so like that to me has been, you know, the thing that you guys have been able to do. And now, now it's funny because I think like a lot of the people who've been just sort of part of this kind of cultish thing are sort of like realize like, oh, like maybe someone should be kind of like reigning in Elon, but like it, it's almost sort of too little too late. I feel like at this point, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's um, the people who, the longer people have been following Tesla, the more they realize how much the train is running off the rails, especially recently. And that's completely tied to Elon. I mean, even just today, you see CJ Moore, which was the former, who was the former director of Tesla Autopilot, um, is now at Luminar, and uh, which is peak irony, right? <laughs> and then Al Prescott who's now Luminar's CLO uh, was general counsel of Tesla during all of this uh, kind of unfolding. So uh, that alone should show people that they have the wrong approach and uh, the, the culture has been really toxic there, especially, you know, we tracked Tesla job postings um, and that has the, the highest turnover that autopilot and AI teams at Tesla have the highest turnover. These are really top people. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable that people are still kind of believing it. Um, and, and so I think, first of all, at your approach was, we learned a lot from it. Um, and also the, the, the counters to what you were saying, because you were, you were presenting evidence and they were just denying it in, in really kind of idiotic ways. Um, and then, you know, how do you respond to that? When, when the responses are so dumb, how do you counter that? I mean, is it even worth it? And that's like every single day I have to have my colleagues like hold me back from tweeting a million things that I normally would. Um, because they're like, don't even bother engaging with this because it's so stupid. Um, but I, uh, you know, walk to the bathroom and send some tweets and then they're like, Taylor, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. So, um, but you know, it's just like, you can't let this stuff go. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So Ed and I were talking about this a little bit, um, last week and there seems to be a bit of a tipping point right now because prior to, let's say in the last couple of weeks with Elon, when he would talk about something like manufacturing um, or let's say AI, he spoke in, he used some of the right terms, but spoken in a way that a manufacturing expert would maybe immediately identify that perhaps this is a not new or innovative um, or maybe even wrong, but like most people are not experts at manufacturing or have even set foot in a factory before, um, at least in the U S. And so he was cast as this genius, um, in all knowing in certain areas. And I feel like that's turned because now he's commenting on things in which many people do know, which is social media and politics. There are people who have experts in these areas and all of a sudden the sheen that was sort of like the, the, the Elon glow. Um, I think people are seeing through that a little bit more and kind of going, wait a minute, if he's talking out of his ass about this, perhaps 
he has been about this other thing too. It also doesn't really help that he sounds more and more unhinged um, than ever before. And also like even some of the most raw, raw cheerleader EV blogs like electric have, you know, are, are noting like, Hey, he's been promising this every year since X. Um, so it's interesting to see, I think people kind of like starting to a wider audience starting to see through his claims, um, after years of the three, you know, the three of us on this podcast talking about it. I, I think that every completely agree with you. Everything that he tries to dive into, if you know anything about that subject, you realize that he is talking out of his ass. And so the more things that he tries to go into, the more people will realize that in their own ways. I mean, you can't find an engineer who thinks that Elon Musk is an engineer. I mean, he talks to engineers and his company has good engineering, but he himself is not an engineer and does not communicate like an engineer, uh, does not use engineering terms. If you, even with batteries, um, battery day was really interesting because he explained everything as it was explained to him. And it was disconnected um, because of that, because he did not understand it. And uh, that is also true with autonomy day, with AI day. Uh, you start seeing, it's kind of like when, when we have conversations with like sell side analysts who are supposed to cover these companies so well. And then they say like, yeah, well, so electronic vehicles are, you know, it's a really big, and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't possibly follow the space and like accidentally call them electronic vehicles or, um, people a lot of times say, yeah, well, uh, like Kathy Wood, um, even there's someone at TechCrunch who, who said, yeah, so autonomous is really interesting because like these uh, are things that uh, you, you would uh, never, uh, yeah, right? Pet peeves. Like, we, we have a list. Every, that's every time Kathy Wood just refers as autonomous, so autonomous in general, I'm, I, yeah. I can't, I can't. Solving, solving autonomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solving, it's, right? it's, one prob- it's one problem. Yeah. It's kind of reminiscent of like, not to get political, but like when Trump would always just say like cyber. Yeah. And he would, you know, and you're like, or oh, 6G. okay. Like, it's, yeah. So, yeah. And so you're like, and then, and, but here's the crazy thing. Um, when he would say that, or when Elon would say that, like just a couple of weeks ago, I'm, you know, playing tennis or something. And I meet like someone's son and he, he's like told what I do. And he immediately starts asking me about Tesla, of course. And he's like, seems like a well-educated person or whatever and and is using term terms that might be used somewhat but like in the complete incorrect way and in a way where he's just commanding like all this attention people are listening to him and i'm like how do i tell this person that everything they just said is 100 incorrect <sighs> and i feel like i encounter that all the time and it's like smart person dumb about this totally and you can tell they're just taking it like word for word from tweets and from other commentary like from elon and like his supporters and i'm like yeah but here's the thing and i always lean on alex's you know i'm like can you sleep in the car and he's like well no and i'm like not self-driving not self-driving that's the that's the easiest line and once you can do that you know everything else is eight ass you know, it might have an automated driving feature, but it's not "quote unquote" full self-driving. I call it the Thanksgiving strategy, and it's where I give Elon Musk a lot of credit because, yeah, Alex is smiling because we talked about this. But um, it's he's really good at this, and it's explaining things that are really complicated in a way that people can understand it, and then they just regurgitate it and like at a Thanksgiving dinner with your entire extended family. So what are you interested in these days? And then they just spew exactly what Elon Musk has said um, and try to explain, let's just say 
battery cathodes, well, probably most people aren't talking about that, but like self-driving um, in a way that it was conveyed by Elon. And so they thereby think that they sound really intelligent because they're explaining something that's so simple, that it's so complex in such a simple way. Um, but when you kind of unveil the curtain, it's uh, just that's all they know. It's just exactly what Elon Musk said. And so that's, I think, also the allure of Elon Musk, because he just knows all of this stuff, apparently. And he's doing rockets. He's doing um, completely transformative, in their minds, uh, engineering. Um, like they act like he's the first to do um, like this giga casting. And he's the first to do a structural battery. And he's the first to make electric vehicles and also make the batteries. He's the first to, uh, you know, have highway ADAS. Like none of this is the first, but they just think because he is so good at explaining these things that he must be the first. And then he just also says we are the first. Um, so yeah, I think it's, that's part of why there are 90 million people who follow him. So, so I have to ask you this cause I've, I've been getting this question a lot lately and it's a really, really hard one to answer. And I feel like you as an investor in Tesla, among other companies, um, you know, it's probably an, a, a question that you kind of have to answer in ways more than, more than maybe I do. Um, and that is sort of what is, you know, the, the future of, of, of Tesla and, and Elon Musk. I mean, obviously there's a lot of speculation that he may sort of step back or something and, and, and that maybe, you know, his presence will go from something that's, you know, been obviously one of its greatest strengths to potentially a weakness for the company. But, you know, I also, you know, you talk to people who work there and stuff and like the whole company is really built around him. It's, 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 you know, it's not just the public image that's built around him. It's the, it's the company itself in a lot of ways. How, what does this future look like? Like, is Elon going to have to back away? Is that something that Tesla can survive? Like, can this company exist without the, the guy who defines it in the minds of almost everyone? Like, what is, what does that relationship look like going forward in, in your view? Yeah, the stepping down risk is a conversation we have every week. Um, is it, would it be the best thing for Tesla or would it be the worst thing? And we float between the two extremes. We never float in the middle. Um, because if he were to step down uh, for, that would terrify the autonomous vehicle industry, I think. Um, that seems to be the consensus because not, not immediately, but, but in, well, in three years, then when they actually use the right hardware, when they actually do everything that the other companies are doing, um, they do have a tremendous fleet. They do have the brand that the others lack. Uh, they do have the network. Um, even utilizing superchargers could be helpful. Uh, so that, that would be, uh, the worst thing I think for a lot of these companies, um, but that's probably not going to happen. So the longer that Elon stays with Tesla and stays really involved with Tesla, I should say, um, then that will just delay Tesla's, um, you know, will Tesla still be around in 10 years? Yes. Will they be around in 20 years? Yes. Um, in our opinion, but will they be the leader? It will be delayed the longer Elon stays. That being said, there are even former employees um, with whom we speak that say they just, I mean, Elon does not understand this, 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 but it's really cool kind of working at a company that's run by a person like that. Um, it's interesting. Obviously they don't work there anymore, but everyone that we speak with says that. And that's kind of surprising to me. It always is um, because they, they say like the worst things ever. And yet they're still kind of in awe of him. Um, so it's, I think that it does also attract a lot of top talent, um, him being there. But then it's terrifying when he actually has a meeting with you. So it's, it's like a love hate. And so we kind of have to um, do the same. But I think, I think for Tesla specifically, and we don't follow any of his other companies professionally. Um, but I, I think that for Tesla, if they got someone really at least had a COO who was really 
great. I mean, like Sheryl Sandberg, for example, that was uh, rumored. Um, that would have been really interesting, but it can't, he can't be at the helm because then he's just going to try to run everything. Um, I mean, when you hear him tweet about how version, you know, X dot X is going to just blow your mind because I'm trying it right now. That's really the closest thing he has because in these meetings, uh, you know, he has a, a, an FSD meeting uh, twice a month and a Zoom. And he, it's quite short and they basically explain everything that's happening. And then he says, we need this, this next version out immediately. And that's why you've seen this delay with a single stack. He keeps telling them we need single stack. And they're like, Elon, it's not that easy. And so it's, you know, the Steve Jobs approach where he's trying to push the envelope. But when it comes to safety critical things, that's so dangerous. And so people just quit, even though working at Tesla could be great for their careers. They just quit. They can't do that. When they started riding on their, their essentially backup computer, um, that the redundant computer node, uh, that was like uh, immediately like 15 people quit because they're like, no one would ever do such a thing. You just don't do that. Um, so morally people, uh, disagree with him. Uh, but yeah, he, he really tries to push the envelope in everything he does, it seems, but he, at the same time, he doesn't get a good understanding of it ever. So, um, he is really just given the surface level things and they kind of cater their presentations towards what he would want. Um, and then he just storms out thinking that he knows everything. Someone pretty recently, a former engineer, not on the autopilot side, uh, said that um, a lot of times Elon will think that he'll see something, some kind of, I don't know, like their, their latest motor for Plaid. And he's like, that was my idea. And they're like, yeah, Elon, totally. That was your idea. When in reality, he never even met with any of them to discuss it. But he... They truly think that he thinks that he came up with a lot of these things, um, which you could really dissect. But I can't imagine what's going on at SpaceX. Um, but yeah, it's so Elon like is the worst thing for Tesla and the best thing at Tesla. Um, now that he's being so political, um, it's I think that will start really tearing at people who are kind of on the edge. We've already seen that happen, right? Like we're seeing his biggest fans like pleading with him to please stop. So, you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> He's not going to stop. And I find it fascinating to see this, like we're watching this persona. I mean, at this point, it's almost like he's an archetype, archetype or a caricature, I should say, of like Elon. You know, it's almost like we could predict the next like unhinged moment at this point. But it's fascinating to watch the arc of his career. Um, and yeah. like who could have predicted 15 years ago that this is where we'd be sitting right now. Um, the, the one thing before we leave is it sounds like what you're thinking is, is that he needs a Gwyn Shotwell type figure at Tesla. Yeah. Um and I don't know how she makes that necessarily work at SpaceX, um, but somehow it does. Um, and Tesla's always had that problem. And he's made comments publicly that said, you know, Tesla is a drama magnet. And it's like so hilarious because he often <laughs> is the creator of that. He's the spark of that drama. So he, He's everything um, about it. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. But yeah. I think I think he well, needs they we, need something like that. Yeah. Should we add any Alex, any final thoughts before we let Taylor go and embark on his adventures in in Southern California, I guess? Yeah, no, I know Taylor has to catch a flight, so um, uh, we'll we'll let him go. Um, this has been great. We'll we'll probably have to have you back on um because uh, I know there's a whole lot more we could discuss. I wanna discuss BYD. Like, I think, I think, you know, sort of what you were talking about earlier, the fact that like really with Tesla, where, where it kind of falls apart is if you, if you take the time to look at other companies in the space and understand what they're doing, and then you go back and you look at Tesla, you're like, wait a second, like this isn't as, you know, maybe unique or even leading in a lot of cases. Um, and I think BYD is one of those companies. Um, 
And uh, so I'd love to, to have you back and, and talk about that. And I guess you're moving to China. So um, at some point, we'll definitely want to hear about like, you know, what you see there. Uh, I'm really curious to, to kind of find out more about the AV deployments there and stuff too. So, yes, so I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk more. Well, thank you. And, and maybe just to quickly end it, I have a quick Alex story. Um, last night I was, I was having dinner in Palo Alto and, uh, with a friend and, um, he said, you know, I know two people. What do, what do you know about this company Argo? And I said, Whoa, speaking of Argo. And, and they said, he said, yeah, I just, um, two of my friends just, uh, got jobs there. And, uh, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, quickly text them just what they think of Alex Roy. And immediately they text back and they, uh, they asked me not to share the exact text, but I haven't. Uh, and they said, Alex is such a legend. And it's just one time I, I've never met him, but one time he was in Austin when I was in Austin. And it's just so cool to work at a company with him. And I was like, yeah, I met that guy. Um, <laughs> so like they, they, um, also they're both huge car guys. Um, but they were over text. They're like explaining, have you never heard of cannibal run? And, um, they're like, you've never seen his movie. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool moment, but, um, and then I said, yeah, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow morning. So you are uh, a legend at, at Argo among other places. Uh, wow. That's, uh, that's really nice. You know, I was walking down the street with um, a woman recently that I wanted to impress and we passed a crowd and in that crowd, someone's like, Oh, it's Roy. And it looked so staged. I couldn't convince her that it wasn't. That it wasn't. <laughs> well, now I believe it. That's amazing. Thanks. All right. Well, well we've uh, seen that happen many times. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that's Thank old you, hat. I, we, we, <laughs> in fact, when I was first kind of yeah, uh, when Alex and I were first met each other, I would just follow him around. Like we'd go to you know, CES or other conferences or whatever, and I would just like find Alex and stick with him, and people would just like flock to him, and I ended up meeting so many people that way. So. Um, so I'm really excited yeah. that that we're going to get to do that again. That we're we're out and you know seeing seeing our friends from the internet in real life, uh, including Taylor, including a bunch of people um, last week. So um, let's let's keep doing that, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll stay talking some more, and uh, and uh, listeners will will definitely hear you on a uh, a future episode of the Atonicast. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is really 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 fun. <laughs>